You are listening in to Mediapolis Now, the podcast channel of Mediapolis, a journal of cities and culture. This is our Voices podcast series, in which we interview thinkers and practitioners about their work at the junction of cities, culture, and media. I'm your host, Scott Rogers. In this episode, we speak with Zlatan Krajina and Deborah Stevenson. Zlatan is based at the University of Zagreb in Croatia, where he is Assistant Professor of Media Studies. His work has focused on urban screens, media and everyday life, and qualitative methodologies. Deborah is based at the University of Western Sydney in Australia, where she is Professor of Sociology and Urban Cultural Research. Her work is centered on cities and urban life, arts and cultural policy, and gender in relation to cultural production and consumption. Together, Zlatan and Deborah are co-editors of the Routledge Companion to Urban Media and Communication. Published in 2019, it's a book that came out of a multi-year process. Its resulting 44 chapters are notably wide-ranging, taking in the urban-mediated dimensions of everything from architecture, infrastructure, digitalization and regeneration, to globalization, identity, consumption, and branding. Our discussion not only centered on the companion itself, but the lens it provides onto the processes and tensions of academic knowledge production in a fast-changing and interdisciplinary research area. We're going to work our way towards some broader questions about the importance of the urban for media, communication, and cultural studies. And we might also raise some questions about interdisciplinarity. But I'd like to start with the book you two have co-edited, The Routledge Companion to Urban Media and Communication. How did this project come about? I might say that, if I remember correctly, I met the editor at Routledge, Elisa Salvago Keys, at a media studies conference back in 2014. This was the year in which I had my monograph on everyday encounters with public screens published, and she was the one who had commissioned it. We met and uh, discussed a little bit about the need to address the rising research on urban media and communication. And she asked me to consider proposing a comprehensive companion on the topic, but with original papers rather than um, a kind of reader format. And she also advised me to do this with a senior scholar, possibly with a background in urban studies, which would, given my own background in media studies and junior status, make this endeavor truly interdisciplinary and intergenerational. And I was already familiar with Deborah Stevenson's work. Her books like Cities and Urban Cultures and um, Cities of Culture were actually textbooks on my Media and the City course, which I had started working academia at the University of Zagreb in 2011. And at the time, most work on mediated cities came from media studies scholars, people like Scott McGuire, Anna McCarthy, Todd Gitlin, and so on. Many books in urban sociology, which had engaged with the city widely, tended to treat media and communication as a separate domain, which seemed to me as if they, they realized it was relevant, but left only for media scholars to do this. People interested in things like film, and television, for instance, was entirely absent. Uh, Deborah's work was refreshingly less concerned with disciplinary boundaries. It was committed to the theme of the urban, however its diverse manifestations commanded attention, which includes communication. So I contacted Deborah, whom I'd never met before, uh, regarding the possibility to co-edit the, the companion, and I was very pleased to hear she was uh, interested. We then returned a detailed proposal to the editor, 
Routledge, who then sent it out to as many as six international reviewers. They put together lengthy comments, <laughs> which were wide-ranging and so very useful in, in our further thinking about the structure of the book and selection of themes. I remember, for instance, they insisted we have a separate chapter on pollution and issues like poverty. So then we, of course, started planning the book in terms of contacting possible uh, contributors. In that sense, we also sought diversity in academic discipline, rank, region, and so on. So if you go through the book, you will see a paper by an emeritus professor standing side by side to one by a junior scholar who only got their PhD. And, and you can see that uh, passion for cities and communication doesn't fade <laughs> through time. And then you can also see that one author writes about media technology from the perspective of architecture, and then another one observes urban space from communication studies. So we both read all papers and gave each drafts, uh, each draft comments from our own respective perspectives. And in fact, we wrote our own author guidelines in which we specifically asked authors to think about issues belonging to the other, to their own discipline. The book was really a dynamic project from the beginning till the end. Deborah will agree uh, that as we were, you know, exchanging emails almost daily for several years, uh, we, we did keep a note of, of topics and cases we did consider as sort of keywords in urban media and communication against what the commissioned authors argued in their chapter plans would represent key historical cases and new developments. So, yeah, our goal was to offer the reader a kaleidoscope, which you could use, you know, reading in, in whatever logical sequence you prefer, either starting from the beginning or um, with key terms and origins, then moving to infrastructures, industries, daily life, or chasing up, you know, things which recur in different chapters. And, uh, yeah, it was a, an intellectual roller coaster. <laughs> It was definitely an intellectual roller coaster. I think one of the really interesting things was was Latin and I coming from different backgrounds, me coming from urban sociology and 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 Zlatan coming from sort of media communications and you know cultural studies. It was we both read the chapters. It was really interesting how our discussions around the chapters were really enlightening, and I think that process was really quite important and that sort of interdisciplinarity was a real strength of the process and it was one of the things that when Slatten got in touch about the proposal I think that was one of the things that really I thought was exciting and attracted me to, to getting involved the opportunity to kind of work through this topic from a number of different disciplinary perspectives uh, was really exciting and I think that you know the resulting product is a treasure trove of ideas and fascinating insights. I think treasure trove is like a really good way to describe it. And when you look through this uh, book, on first blush, it seems to almost it's aspire to be quite comprehensive, even almost encyclopedic. But the other thing I was thinking is when I, I was looking over the book, looking at it closely, and when you look at the actual chapters, um, quite a few of them seem to be orientating themselves very much to the present moment, or maybe the contemporary issues or immediate issues relating to urban media and communication. Is this something you were aiming for, something you were encouraging the authors to do? Well, I think we actually wanted both textbook cases and new developments in one place, in each chapter. So maybe the impression you are getting is from looking at the kinds of themes that are covered by individual chapters. But, well, my impression was from looking at it from the backstage that it was that in each chapter, we insisted on historical 
dimensions on historicizing as a method. I remember this was one of our key guidelines for authors. So while most, uh, most chapters went back to as far as late 19th century to contextualize their contemporary phenomena, I think the book does take, uh, you know, this industrial urban era as a very formative period. Some, like Shannon Mattern, related to archives of Mesopotamian cities, to contemporary ones, to show how important the capacity to gather cross-store knowledge is for the urban. Some others went back to ancient Rome uh, or Florence and so on. Our insistence on historization was editorial preference for scope, but it was also slightly political in my view. I still had this idea of what David Morley has said in recent years, that hunt in parts of academia and industry and media industry for the new is quite nebulous when you look at it, whether they are trying to convince us that the latest version of any mobile phone is revolutionary in relation to what was going on last year, or that smart city technologies will have entirely new revolutionary solutions. Of course, the digital is in many ways an update of Telegraph's binary code. It is also to mention Sean Moore as uh, corporeal, involving uh, fingers or digits, as in the case of uh, typewriting. So to go back to this idea by Morley was the idea of presentism, a highly like problematic assumption that the world is just starting now over here in the so-called West. We just thought that would be a very a missed opportunity, an impoverishing kind of intellectual work. We didn't want to negate change. But we did think that it should be that new should be understood better in terms of attention between the old and the new. What comes out from new technology and kind of long-standing values, such as those for connection and belonging. For instance, Ole Jensen, uh, writing on mobility, talks about mobile agoras. So, I don't know, describing ordinary situations we take for granted and don't even notice. For instance, waiting for public transport on a bus stop and just casually checking in social media, commenting on something, participating in the public domain while physically moving. One of our contributors, uh, Aaron Shapiro, talked about global city transmitters for connections across continents in terms of opposite to the inward-looking sensors that serve surveillance and earlier, older technology like dispatch, which is used to monitor members of underprivileged communities through policing in terms of communication. There was uh, even a whole chapter devoted to historicization uh, by uh, Scott McGuire, actually, in his opening chapter, which he argued that the future of mediated urban space and academic work on that topic should be about the creative grafting, he said, of the old and the new. I mean, I think that it sounds very much like not only were you accounting for both old and new media forms, but actually transcending and complicating that division, that temporal division, or that sort of categorization of the old and the new in a way that's really productive. And maybe something we can come to later is whether the urban is particularly a useful lens for doing that. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask about not just tensions in accounting for old and new media forms, or even, you know, whether we should even start with those types of categories, but tensions in approaches as well, I suppose, because it's not just diverse. The book isn't just diverse in types of media or types of settings to which it directs its attention or the authors direct their attention, but also the types of approaches they bring to their problems. You know, there might be more longstanding ways of conceptualizing and studying media as well as more emergent ways, for example. So did you have to navigate that as well, different disciplinary approaches or methodological approaches? I mean, tensions and, and, and differences and 
and and kind of working through those things uh, was kind of inevitable. I mean, it was obviously at the heart of a collection such as this, and and particularly with respect for, to media forms and thinking about the ways in which they intersect with the city. And I mean, there are obviously going to be omissions and differences in emphasis. And we did navigate that. I don't, it wasn't problematic, but it was absolutely essential to what we're doing. But the process of developing the structure of the book and deciding on the, you know, what the sections would be, was actually relatively painless. And that was in no small part because Zlatan had an incredibly clear vision of how the book should be structured and which themes and empirical domains needed to be included. So, while you know we we didn't necessarily set out to to deal with tensions between different forms of media for example we did seek to engage with the broad sweep of media and the broad sweep of debates old and new and i guess that aim produces its own tensions but tensions and disconnections are part a key part of the story and we were very careful not to try and impose a coherent voice or overarching narrative on the collection. What we wanted to do instead was to point to connections and disconnections between the different chapters and, you know, and and to do that through cross-references and also to use our section introductions as places for us as editors to highlight some of the connections as well as flag key points of difference and tension. But the overarching aim, though, was always to open up debate and to stimulate questions. Now, I'd like to turn a little bit to some of the deeper implications of what the text represents, I suppose. The fact that the Routledge Companion to Urban Media and Communication exists and is as as substantial as it is, seems to me at least to say something about media communication and cultural studies today more generally. And I'd specifically like to ask you both why you think the urban has become such an important lens into understanding media now, today. Oh, well, I I would say that, that probably because this is where new things are now happening. And old ones are now fusing. You know, if you look at the, uh, the first ideas of cities as cradles of innovation and difference, whether conviviality or disagreement, democracy and so on, it is unsurprising that these two key features of urbanity are now crystallizing now when tertiary economy in which communication and media are such prominent industries is promising most profits and former industrial sites are made into flexible offices for the creative class. Key battles like those for the right to the city include the right to communicate, as Miria Giorgio has argued, and cities stage some of the key social trends and conflict, uh, precarious work, commoning, digital economy, mobility as survival, mobility as lifestyle, and so on. So if you want to understand them, you need to look at the urban as kind of formative context, I guess. And I think in parallel, you could also say that the rise of media studies in the kind of contemporary version in the 70s and the 80s was partly as a a result of Fuller's commitment to understand key social change. For instance, if we think that the change was the weakening of the post-war welfare state, they were looking for the source of this ideological stronghold. It was in in the media, partly. Media uh, had to do also with some positive changes related to battles won by feminism. And studying media was a way of getting at matters of gender in the context of households. So urban media studies, I think, is not uh, an end in itself, but a means to get at what's going on. 
And and I might just sort of add to that that it's also worth just kind of flipping that a bit and thinking it's worth also asking why is it that media communication and culture have become increasingly important lenses in urban studies? Because I mean the answer to the question is complex. And while the study of urban cultures and its symbolic dimensions of urban life and urban growth may be still, you know, a somewhat marginal endeavour in urban studies, it is growing in prominence and there is a greater dialogue between disciplines such as urban sociology and cultural studies. And I think also many of the methods of cultural studies, you know, semiotics being obviously a a key one, have become quite important additions to the kind of methodological toolkits of the uh, social sciences, including urban sociology and urban geography. So I think that's another way of coming at this kind of interdisciplinary issue. Now, I feel like both of you have already in part responded to what I'm about to ask, but I'd like to ask it more directly anyways, which is, is there something inherent or distinct about either urbanization or mediatization processes that we're seeing, let's say in the last 20 years, which have encouraged or indeed necessitated even this growing field of urban media studies? Well, I think... Everyone will agree there are distinctly new developments in the last 20 years, but probably each scholar would focus on what, what they're interested in, in terms of their research themes. And so, I don't know, from my own perspective, I would say that there is a multiplication of green technologies as things that, you know, keep popping up in quite diverse social situations in the city, either to establish connection between people or to expand our surroundings by supplying information about where we are. And I would even go as far as arguing that this multiplication of screens, of mobile phones, sensors, billboards on facades of buildings and so on, that this is also a multiplication of spaces. We live in physical and symbolic spaces as a matter of living in the city. We are always already somewhere else when we walk, when we talk or interact in any specific geographical location. I think this is quite remarkable. It domesticates this kind of virtual presence and physical absence and vice versa as legitimate sources of interaction, of public culture, of public sphere, if you want. And even if we want to further complicate things and think how different cities are now in that respect, we can think of earlier screen formations as actually the genome of modern industrial cities like photography and cinema. But unlike theatres, which projected films as accomplished presentations of city life. And I'm here bringing in the work of Kevin Robbins, for instance. Uh, We now are more likely to cross paths with not narratives, but rivers of data, announcements, advertisements, self-presentation on social media and so on. And we are intercepting, to use a word by Francesco Cassetti, we are intercepting unending uh, flows of presentations, of of information, of presence, um, of digital information. There isn't a totality to be viewed. We keep just tumbling upon things. This is how we are invited to interact in the city. So we are actually in a situation where we are involved in, uh, you know, sensing the world as noise while being otherwise engaged. And I think this is something that needs to be addressed from both the urban and the media angle. It can't be addressed from a single position. We simply wanted to invite more curiosity, more openness to change. Because what we, well, what I see often in research 
which says it's disciplinary, is actually disciplinary discussion, which adds some concepts from other contexts into the uh, explanatory framework, but without, you know, allowing their own discipline to change as a consequence of this encounter. So we believed that neither media nor urban studies can remain the same in terms of agenda, vocabulary, sensibility, after engaging with the other discipline truly. It's like a meeting with another person, with another world. And I think Deborah and I argued as well in the introduction to the companion where we said that we think that both should be observed together because that's when they become clearer in themselves. I found myself kind of nodding rhythmically as you were saying these things, Zlatan, and I think it's because you know, this is a field that I also feel like I inhabit. And when I hear you and Deborah speaking about this, it seems immediately important and relevant. But if we were to sort of step outside that and think, well, what would a more skeptical view of someone maybe at an academic conference looking at a book like this or looking at the range of events that are coming under the label of urban media studies? You know, they might say, well, here's just another example of widespread academic trends towards inter or transdisciplinarity, you know, more splitting hairs, more spotting of fine differences, you know, like this kind of idea of hyper-specialization in academia. So if we were to be confronted with that more skeptical view, how, how might we respond to it? How might you respond to it? Okay, well, uh, given my educational upbringing in, uh, in media and cultural studies, the UK version, <laughs> where, which was all about being open to interaction between two or more academic fields in terms of seeking how one and the other can be improved. I, I, you know, going through this trajectory, I, I met people like Seya Riedel and Simone Tozzoni and many of the other people around the um, media and the city clique <laughs> within the European Media Studies Association. And we recently argued in a kind of joint proposal for urban media studies that we think of it not as a new discipline or job opportunity and so on, but as an invitation to dialogue. We simply wanted to invite more curiosity, more openness to change. Because what we, well, what I see often in research, which says it's disciplinary, is actually disciplinary discussion which adds some concepts from other contexts into the uh, explanatory framework, but without allowing their own discipline to change as a consequence of this encounter. So we believed that neither media nor urban studies can remain the same in terms of agenda, vocabulary, sensibility, after engaging with the other discipline truly. It's like a meeting with another person, with another world. And I think Deborah and I argued as well in the introduction to the companion where we said that we think that both should be observed together because that's when they become clearer in themselves. Yeah, yeah, I absolutely agree with that. And um, I think about my own sort of intellectual trajectory and coming out of sociology and, you know, being schooled in kind of Marx, Weber and Durkheim, and then trying to grapple with ideas and phenomena that were kind of outside that realm. And I, I had to go to cultural studies to get a vocabulary for talking about some of the things that I was observing. So, you know, I mean, this is going back a while now, but... Um, you know, that was one of the things I was very keen to do was to try and kind of bring these these different ways of thinking about space together. 
And I guess if this is sort of a moment, the urban moment, I guess, in media studies, where there's an invitation to have certain sorts of conversations or to have certain sorts of interactions that are interdisciplinary, is it a moment that might eventually pass? Should it come to a close? Is it something that uh, is part of the evolution of just asking broader questions about media? Oh, I think it's just coming. <laughs> it's an alien life form. <laughs> I think, well, if you, if you um, we haven't touched on it, but, you know, the, the current pandemic situation in which we all are, you know, forced to live is reminding us every day that we can't study one without the other. I think that, you know, we are kept from meeting outside in public space, but then we, we humans, <laughs> find other ways of, reproducing the value of connection. We saw footages of people, you know, uh, playing tennis over rooftops or chatting over terraces in crowded urban areas or getting in touch online and using masks also as signs and keeping themselves and others safe rather than just doing what the authorities told us. So there's a lot of uh, both going on. And I think you know, the, the more you go back in the recent history of media studies and, and work by Dave Morley, but people like Anne Gray, Sean Morris, Evan Robbins, Charlotte Bramston, all these key figures in uh, studies of how people live with media, you find that all of these studies had an urban dimension, which was just not explicit. And so, yeah, I think there is an urban moment in media studies in terms of us trying to make the urban dimension of communication more clear or uh, highlighted. I think this is only half of the story. The other half is that there is a media moment in urban studies. There are more and more scholars in urban sociology, urban geography, who comfortably now discuss digital technologies and from whom I, as a kind of media, junior media scholar, draw insights in understanding, you know, media technologies. I think this is not a conscious attempt to redefine media or the city, but a truly intellectual search for explanations that can accommodate uh, both material and symbolic dimensions of interaction. If you see, for instance, human geography, they, they talk a lot about affect and experience. Then media studies has so-called material turn. You know, there is interaction which is guided by the search for ways to understand the world in which we live. So as long as most people continue to live in cities, I think cities and communications will remain impossible to separate. I hope you enjoyed listening into that interview with Latan Kraina and Deborah Stevenson. Stay tuned for our next episode. And in the meantime, do take a look at the Media Pulse Journal website by visiting Media Pulse Journal all one word, dot com. That's mediapolisjournal.com, where you can find thought-provoking content such as Yung Jong Oh's revealing essay discussing the work of Japanese intellectual Tosaka Jun, an early 20th century critical theorist of space, or an essay by Helen Morgan Parmet and Apec A. Selec-Rapas on the fundamental impacts COVID-19 has had on how on-location film and television production happens, or an interview with Elizabeth Patton on her recent and ever-so-timely book, Easy Living which looks into how middle-class professionals have been encouraged to believe that by working at home, they can achieve the good life. I'm Scott Rogers, and you have been listening to Mediapolis Now. Now.